0: underground studio this is the sipping social podcast my name is mike carl i'm here with my boy and certified bourbon steward garrett turnquist yo we've also got our stellar producer on the mic johnny say what up what up we're here to dive into all aspects of the restaurant industry we truly love what we do and love talking about it we're going to pour sample and review anything you need to know about pour yourself a cocktail and join us on this journey let's Let's go. go All right, thanks for joining us, guys. We got episode sixty-five of the Sipping Social Podcast here at the Underground Studio. Uh, this is going to be a good one. Uh, we got to have a couple fun guests on tonight. But before we get into that, we're going to share a little bit about what we're drinking. I got a little Rebel Yell bourbon whiskey. What you got over there, G?
1: I got some Rossville Union Cast Strength. Right.
0: Lovely, what what you drinking?
2: Uh, in my dreams, I'm drinking a. Uh White Russian, but uh, it's actually a, a whiskey in front of me right now. So
0: so what is it? Uh,
2: it's the uh, Remus. Uh, repeal number repeal seven? Repeal number seven, yep. yeah. Awesome. Let's go. Go. Cheers, guys. Let's, Let's go. go. and Cheers. We're John's
1: upset that he's drinking a $100 bottle pour.
2: <laughs> no, I'm not upset with that. I'm just saying, like, I need
0: uh, the half and half to, to soothe my stomach fair, right now. Fair, fair. Oh, he's got stomach issues. So, uh, listeners, you guys are in for a treat. Uh, we just had a couple fantastic guests here, and you're about to meet them. Uh, Ian Sturzman, who is the MGP Ross and Squibs Master Distiller. And then our boy, Brian McKenzie, who... Uh, I said that wrong. McInerney? Yeah. Is uh, the division manager for Lux Row, who is involved with MGP as a parent company with these groups. So... We initially thought that we were going to bookend this episode with our normal stuff, but the the interview was so good and, and pretty riveting that we've now decided to just do an intro. So here is the interview with these two gentlemen, and Ian is very, very knowledgeable, and you're going to want to listen to this. So yeah, it doesn't suck at all. Have some fun, and then we'll catch you on the backside. All right, see you soon. Let's go. All right, beautiful. Uh, we're sitting here in the underground studio right now with a couple friends from the Sipping Social podcast. It's going to be a fun uh, segment we get to do here. Uh, we're sitting with the master distiller of Ross and Squib, Mr. Ian Sturzman. How are you doing today, brother?
3: I'm doing very well. Thank you guys for having me. I've listened to your show a little bit. Okay. Uh, you have. I'm impressed with it, and uh, I'm also very impressed with this basement bar setup you guys have. So it's that's, that's, very that's cool a, to... Get to talk to you guys, today.
0: nice man. It's we're, we're fortunate to have you and fortunate to have the settings uh, set up by Johnny in the underground studio.
1: It's impressive that you listened to it and decided you still wanted to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: true. <laughs> uh, we also have with us uh, Mr. Brian McInerney from uh, Lux Row, who's a division manager uh, for Illinois and what other state did you say earlier? I'm uh, in, and Illinois, Wisconsin. Awesome, two yeah. heavily drinking states. Very heavy, yeah. They're, we're professional drinkers in those two markets for sure. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we always have a tradition to start off whatever segment uh, or whatever podcast or whatever show we're doing with a little cheers. Uh, so cheers, to you guys, for joining us. I'm cheers. drinking a little bit of the Rossville Union uh, Barrel Proof Rye.
1: Ooh, that's me too. Cheers, as, as I am,
0: Johnny. What you got? I got a little Captain Cork in the corner here.
2: Captain Ooh, Cork,
1: Captain the corner in the <laughs> Coke.
0: Captain the corner in the Coke. <laughs> <laughs> cheers guys thanks for joining us
1: thanks for having us Ian what are you drinking
3: over there a little Rossville barrel proof as well nice I like it I'm trying the new Remus six year highest rye bourbon that is really good
0: so so if if you couldn't tell we've uh, we've already had a little bit of whiskey and we've talked a lot about whiskey which is fantastic that's why we're here Uh, and um, we're gonna ask you gentlemen a couple questions we're just here to have some fun and and let our listeners uh, grow some knowledge about you guys and your products Give us a little history, Ian, if you don't mind, of Luxco, MGP, and Ross and & Squibb and how they're kind of connected, because those are a lot of words prior to the last couple of days I wasn't overly familiar with, but now I feel like I know a little bit more about it. Well, and it. I
1: guarantee you, Ian's like, oh, Ross & Squibb Distillery, what the shit is that? Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I'll, I'll give uh, you guys the history of all that, kind of in the perspective of our distillery. So, so our distillery has been around since 1847, in one way or another. Um, we were MGP, or we are MGP, and up until recently we've gone by MGP of Indiana. But about three years ago, MGP acquired Luxco. Luxco is now the branded spirits division of MGP, and with that came Limestone Branch Distillery, where Yellowstone Bourbon is made, uh, Lux Row Distillery, and Distillador Gonzalez Lux uh, down in Mexico. So with that, we now have five distilleries. And we wanted to give our distillery a name with a little more meaning than MGP of Indiana, something that really paid tribute to our history we have in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. So we came up with the Ross and Squibb distillery, and that's specifically to pay tribute to the history we have in Lawrenceburg, specifically for the first two distilleries that set on our site. So that was the Rossville Union distillery. It started in 1847 and the Squibb distillery started in 1869. Now, The Rossville Union Distillery would go on to operate through Prohibition. They would shut down for part of Prohibition when they went to restart that a big fire in the Cooker building, burned down the distillery. At that time, the Seagram's company that had made a lot of money uh, during American Prohibition came in, bought the property, and rebuilt the distillery. So Seagram's had the distillery all the way up until 2002. And at that time, Pernod Ricard bought it. Pernod had it until 2008. Then a company out of the Caribbean bought it. it operated under the moniker LDI until 2011, and that's when MGP bought the distillery. Now, the Squib part um, was a totally separate distillery that shared a border with the Rossville Union Distillery. That distillery operated through Prohibition, was actually owned by George Remus, the famous bootlegger namesake for our bourbons during Prohibition, and after Prohibition was bought by the Shenley Company, it would become the old Quaker distillery. And then that shut down in the 1980s. We purchased that property in the 2010s, and we use those old Shanley Rick Houses for maturation now. Th-
0: that is just the uh, incredible amount of information in 30 seconds yeah, regarding the history. Yeah, that again and that take notes. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs>
3: it's awesome. It's impressive that you... A lot of names and dates. It's impressive yeah. that you rattle that off without fumbling
1: over that at all.
0: So dope. I got like 30 more questions just based on that little like
1: segment right there, which is awesome. I will save that for the next podcast. All right, cool. you you back, you back, you back wanna, here next week, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want to yeah. go, yeah. go first Let's on the next back.
0: question or you want me to do it? No, go ahead. All right, so lots of incredible history coming out of the place that you you know make whiskey at. Tell us a little bit about your start in the industry and how you came to making the whiskey with this group and uh, just so we can know a little bit more about you.
3: Yeah, so... My start in the industry was basically just blind luck. Um, I I went to school for chemical engineering. I got my start in my career at a paper mill uh, down in Chillicothe, Ohio, which is kind of middle of nowhere, Ohio. And I was a process engineer and a ship manager in a paper mill for a few years out of college. And I, I really wanted an industry change, mostly because the products we made at the paper mill were all going away. You know, we were making book paper. People go to Kindle. We were making uh, carbonless forms. You know, all the medical forms are going to Epic. Um, it was just a not the industry that I, I saw myself being in long term as a young engineer. Started looking a little bit, and I was just lucky because a recruiter called me uh, from this big distillery in Indiana I'd never heard of and was like, hey, you want to come make bourbon at, uh, at this distillery? And uh, opening was a shift manager job. And at that point, I had never really thought about making whiskey. Um, you know, in college, I was in a beer brewing club. I really enjoyed brewing beer. I was kind of into that. I uh, never really thought it would be a way to pay the bills. Um, but I never thought about whiskey. So when I heard that, I was like, yeah, that sounds way cooler than making paper. No doubt. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do <laughs> yeah, it. no shit. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I moved to Cincinnati. Um, that's kind of where I, you know, wanted to be anyway, a little closer to family and everything, and started as a ship manager in the distillery. Um, you know, it was a really cool process to kind of start to get to know. I was just managing the, the, the shifts, um, both nights and days, kind of going back and forth. And at that time, you know, our, our master distiller was a guy named Greg Metz. I think he's been on your show. Never, never we love uh, him. Never. Yeah. Heard of him. Yeah. That guy's cool. And, he's cool as Light. And yeah. he, and he'd been there for like <laughs> 35 years. And behind him, there wasn't like a ton of experience. So they kind of thought, you know, they were gonna create a position to to bring at least some people up to speed. So I was a I was a ship manager for about a year. And I was a process engineer for about a year, and they created this position for me and a, another gentleman that worked at the distillery at the time. That uh, was called the Fermentation Distillation Manager. And basically, I, I moved around the distillery um, you know, for a couple years at a time, and I, I managed our fermentation and, and yeast propagation for a couple years. I managed our mashing for a couple years. I managed our dryer house and, and utilities area for a couple of years and, and then Greg retired and we brought in another guy from our Kansas distillery who'd been in the industry for 40 plus years himself he spent a lot of his career making stills um and and so then I got to learn from him for a couple of years and then when he retired um it was just kind of right place right time you know now we have uh we probably have like six young engineers now that are all more talented and smarter than me, but they weren't there then. So <laughs> I, I got <laughs> uh, good timing. Nice. So,
2: <laughs> so when you were when you were kind of uh, working your way around the manufacturing distil- distillation plant, working all these different jobs, did you have a kind of a uh, an inkling in your mind that maybe you wanted to become the master distiller one day, or was it just like you literally would just. On to the next thing on to the next thing always constantly learning and then all of a sudden you just were you kind of were in this position to be the guy.
3: Yeah, I think that was kind of the goal. Um, the master distiller position back then was different because back then we we didn't have our own brands for part of that time. and then even after we got our own brands, um you know we were really growing very slowly and organically before we acquired Luxco. So the position was different, but that was the goal. Um, I thought it was more just the technical side of it when I started in because this side of the branded spirits world where I get to get out and like interact with consumers and talk to people like you, that didn't really exist back then. Um, but but that was that was the goal and then it turned into something like even more fun. So so that was cool. More
2: more celebrity? <laughs>
3: uh I, not celebrity, but just like like fun. Like I get to, you know, get out and interact with people. I'm at yeah. yeah. you know I'm in the distillery, you know, about half the time and out, you know, promoting our brands and and, and you know, developing relationships with people the other half the time and, and it's a good mix. So during cool.
1: that during that time do you do you see like MGP as I don't wanna you get yourself in trouble. But like this is a stepping stone to make to be a master stiller at another brand, or like th- because that wasn't like a real thing for MGP because it was a more of a sourcing, not a own label thing.
3: No, and that sounds um, like a yes. No, way. I didn't, and I'm going to give you a really like boring answer. Oh, can't, uh, I, I really just why. can't. Why? So um, yeah, I, it won't be interesting for your listeners at all. But I, I mean. I guess for one, I just, I really love our distillery. I love the whiskey we make. All of my favorite whiskeys have come from our distillery. Um, but the other, the more boring reason was like, I, I like Cincinnati is a, a good city and I have roots there and okay. I kind of want to stay chili. there. Great chili. Uh, terrible, terrible. Terrible chili. Meat soup. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> you um, rent it, you don't buy it. Yeah. But um, no, really like I, I, you know, I have family in Cincinnati and I wanted to stay there and um yeah I wouldn't ever rule out moving to Kentucky but like you know I had this job at this great heritage distillery like right outside the city I want to live in and no it, it was never a stepping stone like it was always home.
0: For our listeners a lot of them know the name MGP and I think a lot of we them know about that, it. that a lot of whiskey comes from them but you guys have rolled out your now like your own label and core group of, of whiskeys and you've expanded on that and you were kind enough to, at Maze MASH not more than an hour and a half ago to share all those whiskeys with us, which was fantastic. But um, I think we should like focus a little bit on some of the the uh, whiskeys that are sitting in front of us now and, uh, and talk about some of those. And it's interesting to know that MGP is moving into a more um, these are labels type of aspect as, as far as just contracting for other people and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, so just like the the basic introduction into our brands for your listeners that aren't familiar with us is like Remus is our bourbons. So all of our bourbons are under the Remus line and then all of our ryes are under the Rossville line. And there, the Remus line was created based on um, you know, George Remus, who was a bootlegger during Prohibition, and he actually owned part of our distillery, the squib part of our distillery during Prohibition. It was barrels from the squib distillery that eventually got him caught.
1: Um dude so how badass is that like he's a double dipper. Like he's not only like owner of a distillery, but he's also bootlegging it across state lines, selling it again. I freaking love it. Yeah I yeah. mean <laughs> I was
2: I was reading an article like he would he would basically like Distill it based upon like a medical stipulation Uh in in the act. Yeah. And then he would have his own employees rob the trucks and resell (laughs) his booze. Yeah.
1: And just double dip on all of it. I love it. <laughs> what a what an American story. If there's yeah. not a movie about that in the next like four years on Netflix special, I'm I'm gonna be yeah. furious. How is there not he actually right. got
3: his start up here in Chicago. So he he grew up in weird, Chicago. Weird that like yeah. bootlegging and yeah. like doing illegal shit didn't happen <laughs> in Chicago. Yeah. He's probably a governor strange. at one time of Illinois. <laughs> well, if he was, he'd be in jail oh, right yeah, now. He, he's <laughs> and his his uncle owned a pharmacy here in Chicago. By the time he was 18 uh, years just, old... Just stealing scripts. Yeah. <laughs> he By the time he was 18 years old, he put himself through pharmacy school and purchased the pharmacy from his uncle. And, and he got bored being a pharmacist as a teenager, <laughs> so he decided <laughs> to also put himself through law school. And by the time he was 21 years old, he passed the bar, and he was an attorney. So and a pretty uh, smart guy. Yeah. He was a pretty smart guy. So... So after he became an attorney, he was a defense attorney. He started representing a lot of bootlegger clients early on in Prohibition. And he's like, these guys are just dumb hillbillies, but they're making a ton of money. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, you know, with my knowledge of pharmaceuticals and of the law, like I can make a lot of money with this. So he moved down to Cincinnati because that was pretty close to most of the big distilleries at the time. And he was buying up distilleries because they were on sale during Prohibition and he bought up a lot of pharmacies too so he would legally get booze from the distilleries to sell under medicinal license That's at the dis- at the pharmacies yeah. but then like john was saying he would he would rob his own trucks he would get those medicinal permits and then as his guys were taking the trucks out of the distillery full of barrels he would rob those his own trucks take them to a farm outside of cincinnati that called death valley farm and then bootleggers from all over the country would come pick up that whiskey from him.
1: So he he became. I'm so disappointed I was born now, not all then. Done. I would have okay. for sure met you at that farm. Yeah. You, you would have been a partner. <laughs> no. Oh, for sure. I mean, whatever
3: whatever I could do, to be a part of it. I mean. And then that was that was quite a tangent off your original question, just about our brands. But uh, but that's Great that's tangent. the Remus is there. our bourbons, and the Should Rossville Union. Let's try some Remus. Is our rye whiskeys. So we're gonna first try. Which one some do you want to try first? Let's try the six-year. So uh, the six-year highest try. Yes. So this is a, a pretty new product just within the last few months.
1: All right. So one of the things that we do here is that we super, super judge whoever pours the whiskey. Mm. So I'm going to let you do that so I don't get okay. judged we
3: get hard. See, we get
0: sound
3: effects, too. Yeah. So. All right. Let's uh. Here. Oh. It's got to be perfect pours. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely perfect. So, uh, the goal is to be even. I don't... Okay. Even. I was that doesn't, wondering that doesn't what mean four ounce each perfect pour meant, but let's see. I I worked right. in the service industry, but I'm not like a pro like two you for guys. Two? It's, it's been a while, and I never bartended. Oh, yeah. I just Killin served. Three Killin for three. Eh. You can use, one I can fly. use
0: A1. I think those are great pours, Thank especially you. for Johnny's heavy one over here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm struggling I think, talking you did over it. Here. I think
1: you did a great job
3: Great Thank job
0: you. Talk us through this uh, This whiskey right here please
3: So this is a, a pretty new product And it's a It's a new mash bill So everything we've done With the Remus line To this point Has been really focused Around two of our Historic bourbon mash bills our our LESV that we call it at the distillery, which is our twenty one percent rye bourbon, so it's seventy five percent corn, twenty one percent rye, four percent malted barley, and our LBSV, which is our sixty percent corn, thirty six percent rye, four percent malted barley bourbon.
1: Right, yeah. real quick, we've talked about before having a low rye MGP bourbon and a high rye MGP bourbon. So this is a blend of the two.
3: No, no. So this is a totally new mash bell outside of those two that we've historically done with the remus everyone's brain just got blown yeah so this is our 49 percent rye bourbon which we just started making about seven years ago so this six year is the oldest of what we have and it is 51 percent corn uh 39 percent rye 10 percent malted rye so a combined 49 percent rye and we um we were really pretty Surprised with the way this turned out. I mean, we love the way that it turned out, but it's not as rye forward as you would think from a forty-nine percent rye bourbon. It, it's more very sweet up front. It's like very maple syrupy, brown sugary up front, and that rye spice just kind of like melts into the palate, um, where you're like you don't even know how it got there, but by the end of it, you like know it's there. And it's almost, I describe it to a lot of people as like a ginger snap cookie type of flavor is what I personally get from it. So how long ago has it been since you've been the master distiller? Um, so I think I like technically got my master distiller certificate, which is, was kind of like a, a thing we did at the distillery, um in 2019. So we had this kind of like formalized so already... master distiller program. But, um, but really I've had creative control of our brands, um, for just about the last three years.
1: Okay. So would you say this was like started before you and then you're just finishing off the, the,
3: the project? Yeah. So like I, I didn't come up with this mash bell. Um, I, at the time when this mash bill was come up with, come up with. Yeah. that's Yeah, you got it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Created? Uh, yes. At the time this mash bill was created. <laughs> we we'll edit, we'll edit that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. No, Don't no, apologize, no, no dude. Won't. It's all good. At the time this mash bill was created, um, my function in it would have been like, hey, figure out how to actually run this in the distillery. Sure. So like somebody else came up with the grain percentages. um, it was actually our director of quality at the time, a guy named Dave Whitmer. And and then they were like, okay, now run it in the distillery. So I would have been tasked with like, okay, so we have this, this res- new recipe. Like how are we actually going to make that work and run it in the distillery would have been my input so, into the original distillation of this. So,
1: I mean, like I would say like even though you weren't the master distiller, you created this bourbon. I mean, you you made it happen yeah yeah like someone else kept heavily in the, the, the brain child right heavily but you involved. were the one who's like okay, now this is how we make it happen mm-hmm. yeah. so i would say this is like your baby yeah no
3: it, it is and i mean this is the first time we released it like the last few years me and our master blender a guy named sam schmelzer uh who's been doing it a long time it, and was, it was nice it was really to good him out today too. uh yeah he couldn't make it today <laughs> but um but we've been like Really keeping our eye on this stuff. We've been excited about it for a few years, and we thought this year it, it was ready to go.
0: Dude, it's it's tasty. It's I got like great it a color. It's got,
3: it's got great, great
1: nose. I think the it's a it's an interesting mash bill, right? You don't see that every day.
3: Yeah, it's something something completely new from our distillery. Like I, I don't think this mash bill has ever been done before, and and this is like the first of it out on the market. So yeah, it's, it's pretty great. exciting.
1: We're learning. Everyone's learning very something very innovative, right?
3: We, we
0: drink a decent amount of bourbon, and this is, I think, is as is rye-forward in a bourbon as I've had before. I agree with that. And it's Without really, tasting that grain. Yeah, but it's, but it's really, really good. Yeah. And I think, like, in cocktails, this would be ridiculous. Manhattan's Even old better. fashions, black Manhattan's. So you love be, black Manhattan's. I do. They're, they're tasty. So cheers to you, man. That's, that's really good. What's the MSRP nice. on this? And this is available in Illinois?
3: Yes, it's available in Illinois, and our MSRP is fifty four ninety nine. What um, we can go that's a li- low. we go a little lower than that sometimes, but um, but that's our six year age SRP statement that's fantastic. It's fifty four ninety nine for a six year at one hundred nine proof unique mash bill. I think um, you yeah, know we're really trying to steal to make are whiskey approachable for everybody? That's cool. Whiskey, I think the prices on whiskey in general have gotten a little out of hand. So I think when you're able to make something really good at a reasonable price, it's, um, I don't know, makes
0: me happy. Earlier we were talking about that value buy Mm -hmm. for like $60 or less. Uh, Nick, who joined us, one of the owners for the, the tasting at Mays, was talking about that. It's like this is the sweet spot for that. You want an everyday drinker that has got great flavor that's not gonna break the bank. Boom, the that's fa- the one.
1: The fact that I don't own this yet at my house is disappointing. We're, I'm disappointed internally. In you. Yeah. Internally it's disappointing. Yeah. So
0: is Ian. <laughs> Ian's pissed off.
1: <laughs> Ian has no idea.
0: <laughs> 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 All right, sweet. Let's. Uh, what do we What do we got next in the lineup? That's That's fantastic. That's uh, gonna be hard to beat.
1: We're just gonna keep wolfing through these. I well, mean, I mean, Ian did definitely pour us like a full ounce and a half. He did a great job. All right, watch this. We got <laughs> watch,
0: watch everybody who's listening.
2: Garrett. Watch, watch this. Gare just watch housed Garrett. whiskey. It's, it's First that, time, it's not new. First time, but yeah. All
3: right, so, so what, what, what do you well, want to go next? Out. So, uh, the next one we'll do is the Rossville Union bottle and bond. And this is another um, pretty new uh, whiskey for us. So, bottle and bond, hunter proof,
1: one grow season, uh, four years, same distillery, age, same distillery.
3: Yes. Yes. All of that are the requirements. This is six year age stated, but, but those are the requirements. And this is going to be a rye that is way different than any of the other ryes we do. And really when, when people think about rye whiskey, they really think about our 95% rye, because that is the rye that dominates the market, right? We, we produce the, majority of the rye whiskey on the market and that's the rye that's out there so when people think of rye whiskey they think of our 95.5 rye and we do a lot of really cool things with that 95.5 rye and our rossville union brand but this is a a relatively new mash bill as well which is our 51 percent rye 49 percent barley malt and it is totally different than our 95.5 And it's totally different than our 51 rye, 45 corn, 4% malted barley. Um, It it softens up the rye a little bit. It's very malted barley forward on the nose. But that malted barley, the enzymes from that malted barley actually help bring out some of that rye flavor too. So it's, it's a little softer, but also has all that rye flavor. And it's malted barley on the nose, but not a ton of malted barley on the palate. It's all rye on the palate, so um, so yeah, give it a try and let me know what you think.
1: So when you talk about like uh, like you guys like dominate the rye market, we've talked about it before in the podcast like that ninety five five is like the standard. Mm-hmm. I think of it as the gold standard of rye. I mean, every distillery that doesn't make rye is sourcing ninety five five from from you guys, and I think it's there's a reason why because it's really good. And I think you guys have like honed in on like how good you guys can make rye. I get this question asked a lot. Uh, I think I know the answer, but I would like you to say it. Like, why do you think a lot of places don't make rye and why they source it out?
3: So I think like you hit the nail on the head with like our rye is very good. Yes. So they source it. But the other, the other part of that equation is that rye whiskey in general is very hard to make. So um, and the, it really goes back to our history. So, you know, before Prohibition, rye whiskey was huge, right? Like, right after we declared independence, rye whiskey kind of became, like, the spirit of choice for the colonies, uh, or for our new country. And it stayed that way, you know, pretty much up until Prohibition. You know, by, by the time of going into Prohibition, the Kentucky bourbon had, had made some headway on rye as well, but... During Prohibition, most of the permits to continue operating went to the Kentucky bourbon distilleries, not the Eastern rye distilleries, mostly for political reasons. And then also during Prohibition, uh, consumers really lost their flavor for a big, bold whiskey like a rye whiskey just because the quality of the spirits being put out in Prohibition was was low. So they wanted a, a lighter spirit. So. After Prohibition, most of the Eastern Rye distilleries never reopened their doors. The ones that did quickly went to the wayside. But since we were, you know, purchased by Seagram's after Prohibition, um, we continued to make rye continuously since post-Prohibition all the way to when rye got popular again. And that was important because we have a lot of experience doing it. And 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 for the people that don't know, rye was a component of a lot of the Seagram splendid whiskeys people just didn't know it so we were continuously making rye when other people weren't and when rye started to become popular again in the 2010s when you know craft cocktail culture got big and people were looking at you know kind of their their historic cocktails that were made with rye and started to seek out rye again uh, we were sitting there with many many decades of experience on everybody else making it which was important because rye is hard to make and you know first off you know, just starting in the field, like rye is more expensive grain than corn. Uh, if you're a farmer and you grow an acre of rye, you're going to get less bushels out of it than if you grow an acre of corn. And then that rye has less starch content in it. So for every bushel of rye you mash, you're going to get less whiskey out of it than a bushel of corn. And, and then the, the gelatinization temperature of the starches in rye are much lower so we think um, you don't wanna cook it at sterile temperatures because you're gonna scorch the grain for flavor considerations. So if you're not cooking at sterile temperatures, your sanitation programs in the distillery have to be a lot more robust because you're not killing that infection off when you're cooking it, right? And then there's all these infermentable things in rye, these like beta-glucans and pentasans and all these all these things that make it very viscous and sticky and hard to, hard to mash, hard to move around the distillery, hard to ferment because that viscosity makes it so that it's hard to remove the heat from fermentation. And then when you go to distill it, it's going to foul up your distillation columns a lot faster. And, and then probably the number one biggest hurdle for making rye that we've really figured out that a lot of our friends in the other heritage distilleries haven't is that when you go you know distilleries our size have to do something with all that spent grain and what we do with it is we turn it into animal feed so we dry it turn it into animal feed and that process of making animal feed with the spent grain is so much more difficult with rye whiskey um you know it, it just it wants to foul up your evaporators it, it gums up your centrifuges and then it gums up all your conveying equipment and your dryers and everything and we since we've been doing it for so long and we have so much experience with it we've figured a lot of those hurdles out how to overcome those hurdles even in the last you know 10 years since i started at the distillery we're able to make so much more rye whiskey now than we were able to then because we've we've come up with some pretty creative solutions for a lot of those hurdles so like too long didn't read like it's less less less
1: quantity for the, for the whiskey, super sticky and impossible to move around, and a huge pain in the ass to make.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's just a, a really good way of putting people to sleep, but all yeah. I was saying is it's, it's hard dude, to
1: Dude, yeah. I'm riveted by that, no. that, that <laughs> information. That's crazy, I mean, dude. I'm, I'm that knowledge I mean, is I nuts. That, that was nuts. I mean, That's I was nuts. not expecting all that. Yeah, it's I was, nuts. Ex- I was expecting what I just said, but like yeah. the point is like it's super sticky and super gross and like hard to move around and kind of a pain in the ass to produce. Yeah. Giant, um, giant pain in the ass. Yeah, but... If you got a facility the large as the seagram plant or the MGP plant, like you can kind of get a bit of it. Makes me uh, yeah.
0: respect the rye a little bit more. Oh, over, absolutely over the bourbon, which I, mean, I, I hadn't had before today.
1: I do think it's really cool, like how how well you guys do your product. And and it is a huge testament to the whiskey world that everyone wants 955 MGP. I mean, how how many how many bottles have we like been shown as like uh as buyers for a restaurant? Uh, here, here we got this new label. Uh, we've got a bourbon. It's like two years old. It's whatever. And then we have a ninety-five-five uh, riot at four years old. And we're like, oh yeah, it's from MGP. Like mm-hmm. everyone's doing it for a reason. Yeah.
3: You, know I think a lot of the new distilleries are doing really cool things. Um, but in general, you know, it it takes a lot of experience to make good whiskey. Um, and, like, yeah. over generations, right? Like, as distillers, our feedback loop is super long. Like, it's not like making beer where, like, you know, you ferment it and then you try it. And if it doesn't taste good, then, like, you do something else, right? Like, like we're putting stuff away in barrels that's got to sit for, you know, four, five, six longer years. So, like, you don't know for sure, right, like what that's like for, and say those six years. So then like your first change is six years later, right? Like, oh, we gotta tweak this a little bit. That's six years. So it's really hard. Um, I think some of the, the new distilleries are doing a phenomenal job at it, but in general it's hard to make really good whiskey without that history. Because, you know, like I get the benefit of learning from guys like Greg Metz And All the master distillers that came before me at this place like like one of my favorite things to do is go down Into the our basement uh, where all of our engineering files are and just like like Pick through pages of all these trials that seagrams did back in the day and like say like oh wow Okay, like that makes total sense like maybe we retry this one and, and you know see for ourselves, but like We learn, you know, that's all that cumulative learning over, you know, over a hundred years that, that smaller distilleries don't have the benefit of. So, so like getting, you know, if they get their start with us or they continue with us, like it's hard to recreate that in a few years. Right. All right. So Brian,
1: you said that we could come down to MGP, come pick a barrel a come little on, tour. Right? Come on down. Yeah. yeah. All right. So when we go down there, I don't want to see like anything else except this basement with all the the, the research, <laughs> and I just want Ian to like poke me around. Like, well, here's a binder of from 1996 uh, and what they did, and I just wanted to like, look at what you guys are talking about because I think that's super interesting. Like, there's a lot of research down there and a lot of learning.
0: Uh, so you have to check your phone at the at the gate. Fine, <laughs> I, don't, I don't give a shit. Smart,
1: yeah. very smart. I'm I'll take mental snapshots. Yeah. I'm actually just kind of curious.
2: You know, I don't know how much time we get left, but plenty. I, uh, I'm just kind of curious, curious because of how big the whiskey industry has become. Is there any kind of like higher technology that's kind of feeding into like the uh, uh, to the process here, where like you can kind of uh, futurize what you might think something might taste like in in a six year aged something. Um, anything like that, anything kind of chemical or, you know what I mean? Like, that, uh,
3: that's a good question, and, and the, the short answer is no. But the long answer is, like, we actually do, like, gas chromatography on, on all of our new distillates. So we n- have a pretty good idea of the chemical composition of all of our new distillates. But no one has ever been able to look at, like, a chromatograph and say this whiskey is going to taste like a future like of this, it, yeah. right? Yeah. Like and, and a lot of it is is because for one, like, you know, as vi- as advanced as we are, um, our noses are still more sensitive to certain compounds than any instrument we have. So certain compounds will come up as non-detectable on a on a chromatograph that that our noses can pick up. And and then the second part of that is that every single barrel is different, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you take tree, two trees of the same species right next to each other in the same forest, and those tr- the wood in those trees has is varying different chemical composition. But then you take trees from all over the country, sometimes all over the world, of different species. Uh, you know, there's several different species of American oak, and no two barrels are ever gonna be the same. So, um, That's my favorite part about whiskey. So, the, the the way we decide how, what that whiskey is going to taste like in the future, is all based on just sensory, right? So we just do, we do sensory analysis on every product tank that comes out of the distillery, and and we're in a unique position because we actually decide what's going to get barreled and what's not. Every other distillery anywhere close to our size has to barrel everything they make where we don't because our distillery um, is so versatile. So we make a lot of gin, we make a lot of GNS, grain neutral spirit, a lot of people call it NGS, neutral grain spirit, basically vodka and any whiskey that doesn't meet our standard um, in the product tank as a new distillate will actually uh, rectify up to 193 proof strip out all the flavor congeners and turn it into vodka. Mm. We have that ability to be really picky about what we put in the barrel, but it's also kind of necessary for our business model. So, uh, you know, I would hope you're picky. You know, well, if you're XYZ big, uh, other heritage distillery, all the other heritage distilleries out there have these really big brands. Right. And if they make, you know, five batches a year that they don't really love, um, they have the ability to take a few barrels from that batch and mix it with a few hundred barrels or a thousand barrels of, you know, of good stuff. And, and nobody knows the difference in that, in that big brand. Right. But with our business model, a lot of our smaller customers, you know, only own barrels from one batch from a given year or, or maybe just one batch ever. Um, so if we were putting away batches that you know we weren't super proud of it would be really detrimental to those smaller customers so so it's kind of a combination of we we have the ability to do it and other people don't have the ability to do it but also um with our business model like it's more necessary to do it as well
0: Dude, that's, uh, that's super badass. And, and a lot of information coming from you and the knowledge that you're spending tonight has been fantastic. Uh, we're going to wrap this
1: up. You um, have one more port to talk about real fast.
0: We do. And I just want to cheers to George Remus because this is the, like the ultimate bootlegger right now that oh, we've learned. What all an Ohio us. legend. <laughs> Absolutely. So but hang on. Let, let's cheers these gentlemen for joining us. Cheers to George Remus, Ian, Ian Brian. Brian. Appreciate cheers. you guys all your Mike. time. John, thank Garrett, you thank you. Um, this unbelievable the information and the knowledge you have and um one of the things i'm impressed about coming out of this conversation with is the history and the lore and the tradition that you guys carry on with while trying to be innovative with what you do so i applaud you guys for doing it and and continue doing it because the stuff you guys make is well, and doing that fantastic.
1: plus also contract distilling ceiling like, yeah that's it's it's gotta be difficult
0: lots going on, so
1: I mean, you're you're focusing on this, but also like you understand, like your business model is this whole other thing. Yeah, but t- tell me, t- t- tell the uh, listeners a little more about this Remus. So I love this is my my favorite pour of the night.
3: So this is our Remus Repeal Reserve, which is kind of our we do this once a year. Uh, it's the favorite part of my job. Me and our master blender get together, and we just kind of have free reign uh, of going through our inventory in our Rick houses and coming up with something different and unique every year and the 2023 version which is what we're about to drink is series seven um we've we've been pretty highly awarded and recognized with our our previous series so we're uh we think this one holds up really well to all of them i think Um, it's better than last year's thank you a lot of people do i've actually blinded a lot of people that come into the distillery on it with last year's, and almost everybody, there's been one person that picked uh, six over seven, but almost everybody else picked they seven six. trying over to be six. difficult. And uh, well, they didn't know, because it was blind. No. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but this is a blend of those two historic mash bills, are 21 and 36% rye bourbons, and the barrels I picked for this are 9, 10, and 16-year-old. So um, it's a pretty special blend. Um, I really enjoy it. That kind of what we were going for when we created it was we wanted, you know, something that was almost like opening a a fresh box of cigars on the nose. It's very um, tobacco forward, leather forward, wood forward. And then on the palate, you get a ton of cherry notes. um, And then it finishes more with the the smoky leather tobacco notes again. I get the leather and tobacco for sure.
1: Um, I think it's really cool that... um, as a master distiller, like you, it's like I picked barrels from different levels and like specific spots, like and that's like telling someone else to do it. Like, no, I went and out and tried those, and I wanted those part of this blend. I think it's super cool.
3: Yeah, and and it, it is, but um, but our master blender does like a lot of the heavy lifting as well. Well, of course he does, um, but like
1: you were you're a yeah. part of that.
3: Like, yeah. you're a lot of master blenders. Like, uh, they're like
1: faces of the brand, right? Mm-hmm. And I I don't think that you're not that, but like. I think you also are showing mm. our listeners that you are also very hands-on.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, um, no. I love, like, being in the distillery. Like, I, I get to be in the distillery less and less. And, you know, I, I talked a little bit earlier about the complexity of the distillery and all the, the different things we do, and it's definitely, like, more than one person can handle. So it's definitely a team effort. We have a really big technical team, um, but I try to be – As hands-on as I can still you know a lot of the young engineers that I mentioned earlier um, I try and kind of mentor them as much as I can Uh, we have a guy named Josh Slosky who um, is just brilliant like he really helps um, helps me we help each other we kind of tag-team the technical lead for the distillery and he does an incredible job as well Um, and then yeah, like our master blender Sam Schmelzer does a lot of the heavy lifting with the blending, but it's it's awesome for me just to be a part of that. You know, he's been doing it for a really long time. When I've I've really only gotten into the blending for like the last three years. So you know, his team does these like really intensive barrel surveys of all of our inventory, and then like I just kind of jump in at the end and be like, "Yeah, it tastes good. We'll do this." <laughs> just like me. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta get Sam on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Brian, you know, we're, um, Brian we're us kind of getting Sam on here. Let's go yeah, let's get him on.
2: You know we've we, we've been doing this podcast since 2019 and this is something that like Garrett and Mike came to me and, and wanted to maybe do. Um, I'm not in the industry. I'm, I'm in marketing and I just uh, I'm a guy outside of the industry and these guys are in it and and the, the one of the things that comes across over and over again uh, when we interview um, uh, master distillers or brewers or anything in the industry is, like they have a quite a passion for what they do. And I don't know what's in the wa- the water, what you guys are what you guys are do- uh, doing there, but like, it's it's just amazing to me to hear somebody like you that graduated in 2010 from Ohio University, and you are the master distiller of MGP the largest slash, distillery. Yes, Ross and Squibb Distillery, and, and 12 years later after you graduate from college, and to hear how much knowledge you have and passion you have inside of you, um, it's amazing to me. And uh, but it reminds me wonder- of
1: like Eddie Curry getting drafted when I was 18, like this guy's doing this and I'm how old? Unbelievable. Yeah, but
2: like over and over again, you just hear the passion in in this industry, you know, of, of, of distillation of a whiskey or any kind of, of, of liquid that, you know, we talk about in this podcast. But it's just amazing to me over and over again you hear these people just talk passionately. That's
0: passionately. True.
2: About what and they and do. and the so bottom good. line
0: is, John is trying to say, we thank you, yeah, yeah. And appreciate <laughs> you, no, and, it, and it's we, impressive, no, but it's, it's impressive, it's very it impressive, yeah, thing. and it, and it, and it and honestly inspires us to want to do better for what we do, uh, podcasting or not. So thanks for coming uh, on, dude, we do we appreciate oh, man, you, gentlemen, man. thanks for joining us, and uh, anytime you guys are in the area, definitely you got you got to have Garrett's number, right, Brian? You got uh, his number?
3: Yeah, I, I'm talking to this guy all the time. All right, perfect. Yeah, unfortunately, perfect. Garrett
0: would love to buy you guys lunch sometime.
3: I'll do it for sure.
0: Any other products you guys have? Just plug it real quick, or, or something about the distillery.
3: No, uh, there's no more products I want to plug, but I wa- I do want to say like keep an eye out on us for the next couple of years. You know, we have uh, we have a lot of cool stuff that I can't talk about quite That's yet great. coming out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can't wait. Keep an to eye out on it. our brands. Like I think we're gonna impress some people over the next few years. I can't wait to tell me in about three minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the next time you come on the podcast, but yeah. dude, we appreciate you guys. Cheers, gentlemen! Thank you so much. Next time we do
1: this, we're doing this in Lawrenceburg.
0: Oh, there you go. We'll we'll bring the podcast down.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And we're back. There you go. Um. So I'm unbelievable. Unbelievable is a is a minimalist statement. I'm gonna just say this. This dude is 36 years old. He's been the master distiller for a year and a half with these guys. The he's been with them for 10. But he's been there a lot longer. But the history and the lore and the knowledge that this guy was spending the whole time—I could—I didn't even want to say anything because I didn't want him to stop. Yeah, you know, I Norm, agree. like Johnny, you know me—I'm like interjecting, like asking, and trying to move it on. Yeah, you're
2: Mister Interjection. But yeah, today you <laughs> i <just> So <laughs> no, but I, <laughs> I love try to tell, tell way, you like,
1: stuff, and you keep interrupting me. All the I time. always interject,
0: but <laughs> no, this guy was like his, his knowledge and his information was ridiculous that's all i can say yeah i
2: really enjoyed listening to everything Flabbergasted. To say. yeah and, and i was just so impressed like this guy like I, like you said he was like 10 or 12 years ago he was in college and now he's the master distiller of one of the he largest was, distilleries in the united was an, states
1: an engineer for a paper company that's yeah,
2: crazy 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 it's awesome so
0: we want to thank those guys for coming on first and foremost um i hope you guys as listeners enjoyed that as much as we did you should have seen garrett over here I thought he was like a, had a rocket launcher like strapped to his his chair. Yeah. Every time this guy stopped, he, Garrett was about to like launch with like a new question. It was badass.
1: I had so many, so many follow ups. Like I think that the whole interview could have gone like four and a half hours. And thank God we hung out before at Maze and Mash. Yeah. Because I got a, a couple of those out, and then I convinced him somehow to ride in my car back to the underground studio, <laughs> and I got to pepper him with some more questions and it's oh, so there's I, a
0: fly on the wall for that conversation <laughs> yeah. just hammering this one kind of my of favorite questions.
1: questions I asked him was like it was like um, so Greg Metz was there you came out of college uh, you're doing your thing whatever and then you got hired on at MGP how in the world did you get the job of master distiller when all these other people around there like let put probably a lot of people there are like know more about whiskey than you do and like he's like right time right place and that was and that was it. And I was like it was like a, a three or four second like dead silence in the car. I was like, All right. Bam.
0: Yeah. Killing it. Um, I will tell you this. Uh he's very smart. Between Rossville Union, their rye, George Remus, their bourbon. Never the biggest fan of that product. But not after m- talk yeah. I not dogging
1: it. I know, I'm I'm with you on that.
0: Not not the biggest fan of the product, but after Learning the history and where they come from, and how much they know about these products, and like they're intense about it. Um, I'm probably gonna drink a little bit more of it. Well, not yeah. gonna lie. I don't know. I've never had that Rossville Union Barrel
2: Proof before. Today. Today, and, and you and loved it, it. That was ridiculously good. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And what was the? Do you remember what the, what the proof was? It was 117.2 proof. Right in Johnny's wheelhouse. Right, my right in, <laughs> well. <laughs> Right
2: in my forced wheelhouse for you, assholes.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, sweet. So bottom line is Rossville Union Rye, George Remus repeal bourbon.
1: I would say, like, if if you were just an average customer and you wanted to try what we're talking about, like, go get a single-bar pick from a retailer. If you want to try it at a restaurant, grab a pour of it. Yeah. Um, I think you'll enjoy it, though. But I I promise you're not going to not like it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's tasty. So, yeah. Uh, appreciate those guys coming on. Um, we're definitely gonna buy a barrel from them through the BBH uh, Hospitality Group.
1: Yeah, I didn't know if I actually said yes or I you got did. forced into you it. Did. You I did. think I got forced into it. All right. Well, either but, way,
0: we're gonna go down there. But yeah. um, appreciate you guys joining us today. Uh, we got episode number sixty six coming up soon. Uh, we're gonna drink some fantastic beer out of California from Porchlight Brewing. My boy Nick sent me a nice little care package in the mail. It's not legal. Mm-hmm but don't tell anybody about that. Shh, shh. Then I sent him some whiskey back in the same box. Shh, 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 shh. But it's Porchlight not, it's, Brewing, it's we're coming else, for I you. Promise. Nick, we're coming for you. You're listening. We're coming. You're going to join us on this podcast while we drink your beer. Do appreciate you guys. Thanks for joining us. G, you got any last words? I love you. Johnny, you got any last words? I adore you. Mm. These guys are idiots. See you on the next one. First of all, we'd like to thank our listeners, our families, and friends that support us. We couldn't do this without you. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Tell your friends about us. Big thanks to our producer, Johnny, in the Underground Studio. Also, a shout-out to Johnny Perona and Davenport Ed. That's the rocking music you're hearing in the background. Thanks again, and we look forward to the next cocktail with you.
1: ready to go when you guys are ready to go. All right, you guys want to wait, wait like an hour? <laughs> mm-hmm. We have to be somewhere in 10 <laughs> yeah, minutes. <laughs> 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 We've got a nine-minute
0: podcast coming up yeah. right now. <laughs>
1: Welcome. Welcome in. Have a great
0: night. And uh, good to see you. We'll see you next time.